Welcome back as we head into Hour 2. And as we do every Monday this time, we check in with Brandon Weikert. Brandon Weikert is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. His newest book, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. And ready to go for next year, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. You can follow him at We the Brandon on Twitter, columnist with The Washington Times, Asia Times, America Greatness, and everything else. Brandon, how are you, buddy? I am great. How are you? I'm doing just fine. You know, I um, I was reading your piece in American Greatness, Iran Makes Play to Take Over Al-Qaeda, and yeah. I don't think you and I had a chance to chat about it on air, just given the scheduling of everything over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it, all of this is kind of becoming a piece in a weird way. We're celebrating, yes. celebrating, that's the wrong word. We're commemorating, we're remembering <laughs> the one-year anniversary from our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the loss of 13 American lives. And then there's this weird thing that came back to haunt people they had forgotten about, the attempted assassination following through on the fatwa of the Ayatollah Khomeini and reaffirmed by Ayatollah Khomeini of Salman Rushdie. Iran seems to be flexing a lot of muscle, especially when you think about their play to take over al-Qaeda. Do you want to start there and then work outwards? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the we're also on another anniversary that plays heavily in my new book, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, as you know, because yeah. you've got to read it early. Yeah. Uh, the uh, two-year anniversary of the Beirut blast. Right. Uh, which we still don't know officially the cause of. Really, there's a lot of theories, but as you know, I go into in my book, I think it was very obvious that the Beirut port was being used as a uh, Hezbollah storage uh, facility, and somehow it either exploded because of an accident or because someone decided to take it out before it could be moved over to Israel, which was the intended target. Let me pause you real quick, Brandon. People may have a hard time recalling this, or if they do, it may seem like a vague memory of 10 or 5 years ago. This was 2 years ago. This was a huge huge explosion at the port of Beirut. Something like over 200 people were killed, and we just moved on and forgot about it. Yes, we were made to forget about it. Donald Trump came out the day that the explosion happened. By the way, I have family members in Malta who felt the shockwave yeah. all the way up in Malta. Right. And in Cyprus, it was felt as well. Right. So this was, it was uh, the closest thing to a nuclear blast. It was, it was a very large non-nuclear blast. Uh, a lot of ammonium nitrate exploded there. Um, many people speculated at the time that it was not an accident, or if it was an accident, it was an, it was a workplace accident of Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Donald Trump came <laughs> workplace Donald violence Trump. like we're used to as well, right? <laughs> yeah, right. When, yeah, I got it. Right, like at right. Fort Hood. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Exactly. Exactly. And so uh, Donald Trump came out. My colleague at the Asia Times wrote this at the time. Trump, when he was talking about the event in real time. He slipped, and as president, he said, it looks like a terrible attack, a terrible attack. Right. And almost immediately, every agency in Washington had a press conference thereafter, basically walking back what Trump had said, saying that, oh, you know, he was vamping, it wasn't actually an attack, and I think it was an attack. And so when you throw that data point in with the the data point you were talking about, about the Afghan pullout under Biden— and how Iran seems to be more acting more and more aggressive and empowered, or then you throw in the, the horrible, heinous Salman Rushdie attack, 
this is part of a larger tapestry of events. And it is all getting at one thing, that Iran is, is coming out of its box more so than it has in the last 15, 20 years, that the Iranian regime really believes that now is its time and the Biden administration, as well as most of the Europeans, are more than happy to let Iran think that and to encourage them to step out of that box. Uh, you know, and, and, and we are seeing the terrible fruits of this policy. Let's set aside the nuclear weapons issue, Seth. Uh, it would be a nightmare if they in Iran are able to build out a fully, you know, w- reliable nuclear weapons and ballistic missile capability, which they already are. But even without that, the fact that they are the mothership of terrorism, that they can reach out to upstate New York with a supposedly, you know, a, as the mainstream media keeps saying, a, a 25-year-old resident of New Jersey whose motives remain unclear, uh, they sent out... Yeah, they were investigating whether this was a hate crime or not. Right, yeah, yeah, motives are unclear. Yeah. Regime is able to reach out with agents in upstate New York and attack a very popular, well-known New York Times best-selling author who simply had made a book that was critical 30 years ago of Islam. This is the same regime that sent a hitter to go kill this uh, woman and her family. I, I'm forgetting her name, but she's been under FBI protection. For like two years. She oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, forgetting her uh, name. Yeah, uh, Elena Jad. I've, 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 uh, Masi yeah. Elena Jad. I've, inv- I've interviewed her. Yeah, she's a real yeah, brave soul. So, yeah, she is. But they, you know, her, her little Comcast camera, yeah, yeah. the doorbell camera, caught this guy lurking around, and that was also, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in New York. Yep. So the Iranian regime is able, with its tentacles, to send hitters. By the way. This is, may not be remembered, but about two months ago, in the morass of all the other news surrounding Donald Trump, uh, there was a severe uh, threat to Donald Trump's life by Iranian intelligence operatives trying to penetrate Mar-a-Lago mm. to murder him. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, there was a horrible, in the last two months, around the same time, scandal that has since disappeared from the front lines, or front pages of the news, which it saw secret service agents that were on the presidential protective detail for Biden were apparently on the take, were receiving lots of money and favors uh, from Iranian agents who were trying to gain access to the White House for God knows what. Uh, and and this, is, this is all part of a larger, you know, a, a war. And, and, and we're sitting acting like, Iran is this, you know, non-threat. Afghanistan, we pull out of Afghanistan. Where do a lot of the troops that we trained to fight the Taliban, who immediately folded, where did a lot of them flee over to? They took their American military equipment, they took their American technology, and their American-trained selves, and they drove across their border into Iran, screaming, we're your friends and we'll work for you all the way. And now, because of that, Iran has access to sophisticated U.S. military equipment. They have access to sophisticated, sensitive data sets that, that were brought over by the, uh, the, 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 the American-trained uh, personnel, Afghan uh, personnel fleeing the Taliban. Uh, the, the Iranian regime 
were were apparently uh, providing aid and comfort to the two people who are most likely to take over al-Qaeda. They've been providing them protection from the Americans for 20 years now. These two Egypt, this Egyptian-born man who is best friends with the now-deceased Ayman al-Zawahiri, as well as uh, Ayman al-Zawahiri's son-in-law, Maghrebi, I'm forgetting his name. But the point is... Oh, yeah, uh, Rahman al-Maghribi. You're talking about Saif Adel and and, and Ahmed uh, Raham al-Maghribi. Right, right. And so so you take all of these data points and you say, what the heck is going on? Why is Iran acting like this? Why do they think this is acceptable behavior? If they want to do a deal with the world's great powers, why are they acting crazier than they ever have? Well, it's because they feel empowered. And they feel empowered because the United States, as well as the Europeans, are completely enamored with this notion of letting Iran get the bomb, of normalizing relations with Iran like we did with the Chinese in the 70s, and that it will all work out and that we can pull ourselves out of the Middle East and focus elsewhere. And I'm here to tell everybody that this is going to be the the crisis that bites us in the rear end when we least expect it. We're so fixated on Ukraine, and we're understandably fixated on Taiwan. We are missing what's going on in Iran. And by the way, as Iran is reaching out with its tentacles around the world, it's getting really bad right now for Israel with Hamas and Hezbollah. And who is funneling support to Hamas and Hezbollah? Well, that would be Iran. And so this is a, this is a huge breakout of Iranian military power and their national security threat to us, the Israelis, the Sunni Arabs, and the world is only increasing. And who are they bringing in on their side? They're bringing in uh, the, the Russians and the Chinese into the Middle East. This is a nightmare. So much more to talk about and connect dots uh, with uh, you on, uh, Brandon, when we come back on the other side of this break, which we will in just a moment. I want to pick up on that. And I want to talk about the risk of not connecting dots. As we go to break, let me put in a word for our sponsors, Why Refi. If you're looking for a, remar- a remarkable investment opportunity, they're offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm where the investors do really well by doing good for others, and you can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Portions of the Seth Leapson Show are brought to you by Balance of Nature, pure, potent plant power. I had a friend last week. She didn't get very much sleep uh, the night before. She had a give a big presentation, and she was just kind of dragging. And I said, why don't you take some balance of nature? She wasn't taking it at the time, and she asked if, um, if, if I thought it was safe and all that. I said, of course, it's just fruits and veggies, 100%, and it'll give you a little bit of a lift, I promise you. She took it. 30 minutes later, she said she felt like she had a good night's sleep. I'm telling you, this stuff is great to boost your energy, to boost your health, to boost your immunity. You can't do better than a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables as Balance of Nature puts it together for you. You Just take it once a day, easy to swallow capsules, and you are good to go, whether you get a good night's sleep or not. I take it every single day. Balanceofnature.com. You can take it, too. Just make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Brandon Weikert is our guest, author columnist, geopolitical strategist. Brandon, you went to the break 
sending an interesting warning that, you know, we often don't connect dots. And when we don't, it tends to be at our own peril. We're watching Iran uh, swing swing its arms pretty wildly these days. And we're kind of taking it as ho-hum and distracted a little bit by the Mar-a-Lago goings-on mm. and maybe the inflation goings-on and the recession mm. goings-on. But, you know, we don't connect the dots. Things happen. Bad things happen. I remember when um, Shah Massoud was killed in Afghanistan about three or four days before 9-11. He was our greatest ally there. He was known as the Lion of Pangea, right? The greatest right. Northern Alliance fighter. He would have been our guy on the ground in Afghanistan had we ever had to go go in there again. He was killed on September, what, 8th or 9th? It made page 16 of the New York Times, maybe a yeah. couple paragraphs at most. No one cared. And then they right. cared, right? We, right? we we ignore this stuff at our peril. Oh, big time. And had he survived, um, had he never been killed, uh, we probably would have had a, a very different outcome yep. Yep. Uh, in the war. Right. Um, of course, you know, the, 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 the problem is, is that our, I was just talking to someone about this earlier, our intelligence services are not conditioned to understand which is kind of funny, uh, these sort of very foreign cultures. Afghanistan was a very faraway place. We had a handful of experts in it. A lot of the experts had left after the Cold War ended, and they had to be pulled back in after 9-11. Um, and so we had a lot of people in positions of authority in these intel services who were more concerned about very different things right. uh, than terrorism. And today it's the same thing. We're tired of the Middle East, believe me. You're not going to find someone more tired of the <laughs> Middle East than me. Right. Um, we are tired of it after 20 years of this. We don't want to think about it. We don't, Iraq, Iran, we don't want to even hear about it anymore. We're done. We've got bigger fish to fry. The problem is it's the old Godfather 3. Every time I think I'm out, they keep pulling me back in. Right. And um, we do not want to get pulled back in in such a way where we are not the ones dictating the course of events. And right now... That is precisely what's going on, because we are not paying attention. We still do not know officially what was the cause of that blast in Beirut. Right. What we do know is what was going on at the time was that Iran had been funding what they called the Precision Project. This is in my book, the chapter on what happened in Beirut, what I think happened. They were funding the Precision Project, which was Hezbollah building medium to long-range ballistic missiles, non-nuclear at least for now, that were intended to hit the port of Haifa from Lebanon. And the reason that and they were building them across the countryside of, of Lebanon, putting them very near to these villages of, of innocent civilians, because Hezbollah knew Israel would see them being built, but would be re reluctant to fire on them because they're so close to civilian populations. And of course, Israel's the good guy here. And of course, Israel's always made the some like they're the bad guy, but they don't want to blow those places up. And then what was going on was Hassan Nasrallah, who's the head of, of, of Hezbollah, was basically alluding to the fact that at the port of Haifa, which is Israel's most important port, there is a lot of ammonium storage, ammonium nitrate storage. And if a non-nuclear missile could just hit those ammonium nitrate storage tanks in the port of Haifa, the Iranians could take, or Hezbollah for the Iranians, could take out probably one of the most critical parts of Israel's uh, economic infrastructure and, and probably, you know, cause Israel to go into an economic downturn. Uh, and so 
we don't put that together, though. We just we don't even really remember what happened in Beirut in 2020, but we should. Uh, this Salman Rushdie thing. Salman Rushdie attack was not just an isolated incident. It's part of a longer-running plot line of various horrible things that are all designed to empower Iran at the expense of us, the Israelis, uh, the, the Sunni Arabs, even the Europeans, everybody else except for themselves in Iran, China, and Russia. This is about furthering the agenda of the autocrats in Eurasia. And we are not paying attention any more than we paid attention to the horrible death, murder, of the Shah Massoud, the Lion of Pangir. Uh, and his loss, we don't even realize that when, when history books of this time are written in Afghanistan, finally it will be revealed just how critical he was. And his death before 9-11 even happened at the hands of bin Laden and al-Qaeda um, probably ensured that we would not really be able to win Afghanistan. Yeah, that's right. And we weren't thinking about, no one knew what al-Qaeda was then. And it seems like, it seems like until Zawahiri was killed, no one was thinking about al-Qaeda again. The president had, of course, assured us that they were gone. And now the administration is telling us, well, the fact that we could withdraw and still get al-Zawahiri shows you how good a plan it was. No, it shows you that the Taliban made a hospitable home for al-Zawahiri and his compatriots, and and Iran is sheltering his successors. And furthermore, the question must be, who gave us the intel on Zawahiri's location? Because it didn't come from anyone we know. It didn't come from our friends. It came from one of one of our enemies who is using us as their air force okay. to take out a rival is what I think happened. All right. Fair enough. So there's always going to be and always has been these rivalries. And one of the ones that everyone was taught on nine twelve was that the Shiites and the Sunnis don't work together. We've talked right. about this before, and it's nonsense. As you put in your right. most recent column for American Greatness, as I just said, the two successors are, are being secreted by Iran. And Seth, remember very quickly, Zarqawi, who was the head of al-Qaeda in Iraq, right. had a big falling out with bin Laden right. because bin Laden didn't want the Sunnis and Shiites to be fighting each other. That's right. And Zarqawi was a Sunni fundamentalist, and he said, no, I'm going to kill all the Shiites yep. in Iraq. That's right. And then bin Laden's people leaked Zarqawi's uh, location That's to right. General McChrystal and the U.S. Army That's Special right. Forces in Iraq, and we took him out for bin Laden. I forgot about that connection. That's absolutely right. Bin I Laden wanted nothing to do with Zarqawi's tactics. Right. That's right. Which That's is why right. I'm worried that Zawahiri was taken out by information that was given to us from whom? We don't have people on the ground in, in Kabul anymore. Who gave us his information? That's a great And point. what was the intended purpose? That's a great point. Uh, Brandon, with regard to the attempted assassination of uh, Salman Rushdie, uh, based on this 1989 fatwa, they're celebrating the attack in Iran. And I wonder if we might come back and just talk about what you said earlier, the State Department's view of the world and yeah. the people who live in those parts of the world's view of the world. They're very different things, aren't they? Let's pick yeah. up on that when we come back. It used to be called pan-Americanism, where we used to think everyone acted like America. It's something worse than that. It's it's a misunderstanding of ideology and enmity. And it's also with a dollop and dose of a feeling on behalf of the State Department that maybe America isn't always the good guy either. Let's pick up on that with Brandon Weikert when we come back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest columnist with the Asia Times, American Greatness, the Washington Times, author of several books from Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, to the Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Brandon, you said something, and I don't think a lot of people quite understand this culture. You kind of have to spend a little time in D.C. to get a sense of it, but the State Department, the organ, the institution responsible for our foreign policy, it's just different. It doesn't see the world the same way a farmer in the Midwest sees the world or an average Floridian or Arizonan sees the world. They see it really differently through a different kind of lens, and America yeah. isn't always their first priority. Talk to us about that culture you're talking about. Well, it's a globalist culture, and to some degree you can kind of understand these are people who are entire, their entire career spent either living overseas representing us or they've spent their whole lives, you know, learning to be, you know, international citizens. But at the same time, um, it's a problem because they are not tourists. They are supposed to be representing the interests of the United States. Very often they take on what's known as clientism, uh, where they basically begin to um, become more concerned about the sort of national interests of the countries they're supposed to be monitoring and observing. Um, the, the old term back in the day was they're going native. Right. Um, so there, it's a huge problem, sort of like a, a disassociative, disassociative state, uh, among State Department personnel, where they just stop worrying about the interests of their homeland, the United States, and start becoming more interested in the country that they're following or keeping an eye on. Um, but it, it, it's extremely difficult to understand. And in fact, you know, that's in the State Department. The CIA has a very different problem. They suffer through a lot of what's known as mirror imaging, which is they have analysts who kind of come up with these uh, observations about other countries who really don't know what the other country is thinking. Uh, they, they tend to sort of project, well, as a, if I'm watching Iran, um, you know, uh, my, I'm, if I were an Iranian leader, this is what I would do. But you can't do that because you're not, the Iranian leader isn't American. The Iranian leader is from a different culture has a different ideology, uh, you know, and so that's another issue that our CIA analysts tend to go through at times, which is that they tend to project their own assumptions right. and biases onto a target. Um, in any event, the United States national interest suffers. The national security suffers. The, this sort of globalist mentality that is shared almost universally among any person living and breathing in the U.S. national security state creates a condition where you tend to put, you know, you downgrade the importance of U.S. direct national interests. You can't say things like America first because that's, you know, that's, that's a faux pas. You have to worry more about what the allies think. You have to think like an ally, think like, uh, you know, an international citizen first and an American a distant second. This is not a good place to be. When you're in the competitive world of nation state international politics, and this is where we are and where we've been for a while. One might say, couldn't one, Brandon, that when your job is diplomacy, when your job is to, at 
any cost prevent war? That's the job, diplomacy, State Department, and peace, State Department, peace, keeping the peace. It leads ineluctably to one of two things, either standing up for your interests and your own country or appeasement or appeasement. And too often, that's why you get these kinds of deals that Wendy Sherman and John Kerry are so well known for. They come back with pieces of paper and say they achieved something. What they achieved was the selling out of America. You're 100% correct, and that's part of that globalist ethos. It's also utopian and pacifistic. But the problem is, I would argue that the State Department's goal is not to prevent war. It is merely to ensure that the U.S. national interest is preserved at all costs and that America is represented as best as possible in the foreign capitals of the world. And if war does need to occur then it is up to the State Department to ensure in that non-military realm the United States is in the best position possible diplomatically to prosecute that war. All right. George Kennan George Kennan comes to mind. Yes, that's you know, that's yeah. that's that's a good that's a good codicil to what I said. Let me do this. Let me pick up with you on that on the other side of this break yeah. and what it tells you with uh, China upping and restarting military drills around Taiwan. Yeah. I'm Seth He's Brandon. We'll be right back. Oh do I have time for one Jesse Helmstra? We'll do it when we come back. We'll be right back. To the, welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature, pure, potent plant power, 100% natural, not 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent, 100% from the capsule to the ingredients. And the ingredients are 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables blended to boost your immunity, your health, and your energy. Fantastic product. I take it every day. I just got someone else starting to take it, as I mentioned previously. Someone needed a little pick-me-up. They tried it. They were good. to. You won't need days to see if this is working. You won't need weeks. You'll know right away. If you want to take Balance of Nature, easy enough. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Brandon, right before the break, I just remembered an old funny tale about a former chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Jesse Helms. You remember him. And he was holding up some funding legislation uh, for the the Foreign Affairs State Department. And someone said, why are you so against the State Department? He said, I'm not against the State Department. I just want them to open an American desk. In other (laughs) words... He just wanted them to represent America's point of view, America's concerns, rather than bringing every other country's concerns to the American problem. All right. So I guess there's this new delegation of Congress people led by Senator Markey of Massachusetts to visit Taiwan. And it's kind of a joke when they say this new five member bipartisan delegation. There is a Republican um, on this uh, trip, Brandon. Uh, if you haven't heard of her, Amua Amata Coleman Radawagan, she's not really a member of the House. She represents American Samoa. That's the Republican who went there. I don't know. Maybe she knows something about islands. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter who we send. Every American is the same to our enemies. China's right. engaging in drills on Taiwan again. Right. And they're actually engaging in a very specific drill that should worry us. They're engaged in anti-submarine warfare drills. Um, submarines, as I've said for years now, will be the tip of any spear uh, in a war 
for Taiwan with against China. And um, we are rapidly approaching a period of time, I'm, we're very afraid, where the Chinese will attack Taiwan, either with a blockade or with an actual invasion attempt. Uh, and our fleet of submarines is already not large enough for my liking. Um, it, we will have to pull subs from other missions around the world, and we'll have to deploy them to, to resist whatever China's doing in the Taiwan Strait. And ultimately, uh, if we start losing our subs, replacing them will not be easy. It will not be like World War II where we could just turn out, you know, these systems pretty quickly. Uh, and the Chinese know this, and that is why they are now really going hot and heavy with anti-submarine warfare, because the Chinese can pretty much easily replace their lost submarines, thanks to the manufacturing capability that we've given them since the 1970s. Ours is a little bit more difficult and time-consuming. Uh, Brandon, as long as we're discussing our enemies, it's important that we also talk about you know, the relationship between them. Iran and China have a comprehensive strategic partnership. Uh, it's no more true that uh, communists won't work with Islamists than it is that Shiites won't work with Sunnis. People need to understand this relationship, don't they? They do. Uh, and we, I've already alluded to it in, in, in the Shadow War, which will be out October 18th. Uh, I get into it in detail. There is a growing alliance. It originally was just more indirect, but now it is becoming really formalized between Russia, China, and Iran. Yeah. That these three powers are consolidating. Iran basically acts as a quasi-colony of both Russia and China. China is more economic, although they do have this new deal, which will see hundreds of Chinese security personnel moving in to protect their investments in Iran. Uh, Iran has traditionally been a military base for Russian forces going into Syria, along with Iranian forces. Uh, in fact, when the Russians started running into problems in Ukraine, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps uh, volunteered to send sniper units up to fight alongside the Russians in Ukraine as repayment for Russia having assisted Iran for as long as they have in supporting Bashar al-Assad of Syria against the jihadi elements that we have been backing there, uh, which we should not be backing, but here you know, that is what it is. Um, so the, the, our enemies are coalescing, and we seem to be in America subdividing. And it's, it's really pathetic to see um, you know, we and, and I can't help but to think that a lot of these extremist groups on the left and the right are actually being empowered on some level by Chinese and Russian and Iranian intelligence services to create a greater level of division in our country at a time when our enemies know abroad that America will be called upon to stand up for our allies alongside our allies and if we're too busy fighting each other, um, you know, we're not going to be of use to anyone. And the whole world system will be rewritten as we're so busy fighting ourselves over, you know, Antifa's craziness or whatever's going on with these people targeting the FBI agents who conducted that idiotic raid of Mar-a-Lago. This is not the way it should be going here. 
John Kennedy published his thesis. It was titled Why England Slept, and it was a play off Churchill's earlier book, While England Slept, I think in the right. 1930s. I mean, someone, Brandon, scarily enough, I God, please let it not be true, but someone may end up writing a book. Maybe you're the one to do it. Why or while America slept? Well, if I'm, you know, it pains me to say, but our friend Frank Buckley, actually in his blurb for Winning Space, yeah. my first book, if you look at the back of the book, that's exactly what he says uh, that I've written, the equivalent of Why, why uh-huh. America Slept. Okay. And um, if I may toot my own horn there sure. for a moment. Uh, but um, my entire body of work is predicated on, uh, you know, I'm known as the space guy, but that's actually not what I was trying to be when I wrote this. Now I'm writing a book on the Middle East. You know, it's coming out. I have a book coming out on biowarfare. I'm working on another book on the Arctic. And uh, my goal is less to be the space guy and more to be the guy trying to warn people of the threat that's staring us in the face, but nobody on our side is paying attention to. Um, I was deeply impacted by 9-11, Seth, uh, and I don't want to live through another 9-11, and I am very, very concerned that we are getting ready for that, whether it's in space, whether it's with Iran, whatever. Um, you know, what I'm writing about in my books are the reason that I write about them is because I think these are major, significant threats. Uh, and we're not paying attention to. And the reason we're not paying attention to is partly because we don't understand, because these are complicated issues, and many of our leaders, let's face it, are lawyer types, who, with all due respect to lawyers, they really don't get technology and science often. Um, and another reason is because we're too busy, you know, micturating on each other uh, <laughs> over these ridiculous issues. Um, you know, and so that's that's why I do what I do. Uh, yeah, look. <laughs> Let this radio station be known. Let this radio show be known as the only one that uses the word micturation. Thank you for doing that. (laughs) I was in California over the weekend, and I drove by something called Vandenberg SFB, and I thought, SFB, SFB. Brandon Weicker, Space Force Base. It used to be the AFB. Now it's the Space Force. Brandon, we'll come back with some concluding thoughts. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Brandon Weikert has been our guest this hour, as he is every Monday in our second hour. Brandon, one of the things we're micturating all over ourselves in regard to, <laughs> use your word, good word, uh, is the raid at uh, Mar-a-Lago. It's something I haven't asked you about. It's a short segment, but I'd love your thoughts on it. Brandon, do you have thoughts on the raid at Mar-a-Lago? I, I may have cut off there for just a second. No, I, I hear you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yes. So the the thought is that if President Trump had documents he shouldn't have, he should have turned them over. At the same time, though, um, this was obviously not about those documents. I think this was a fishing expedition by the, the national security state on behalf of political actors in the Democratic Party to get into his safe, to get into things that had nothing to do with these documents, so that they could annex it, bring it back to D.C., and fold it into the ongoing, uh, you know, investigations both in New York to use against him for tax evasion or whatever, and to use against him for whatever the January 6th thing is trying to concoct. And I think this is a very dangerous position for our country. It will lead to a nasty outcome. The Democrats need to stop this. 
and then the Republicans also need to need to calm down because right now we are under the worst threat from China, Russia, and Iran that we have been under in decades. We are facing a world war, and we do not want to go into a world war situation possibly with a possible civil war at hand. We need to cool this thing down, and unfortunately, it looks like the Democrats really don't want to. No, they that's want right. to be able yeah. to say that we are criminals for disagreeing with them and use God knows what level of force to crush us beneath. Oh, the, the idea that they're throwing the Espionage Act at a former president. Oh, My God, we had reporters dead to rights on the Espionage Act throughout the 2000s, and everyone I mean, screamed it was irrelevant. My God. Right. Judith Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah uh, all yeah. that stuff. Dana Priest, uh, James <laughs> Risen, all those guys. All of them. I mean, my God, Bob Woodward alone. Right. I mean, my goodness. Right. They're disclosing black sites. They're putting Guantan- <laughs> our entire Guantanamo project at risk. Yeah, of course. And, and clear violations of the Espionage Act. But no. First Amendment, First Amendment, First Amendment. Brandon right. Walker, you are a treasure. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you for expanding our vocabulary and our understanding of the world. Not a bad job, that. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Until next week, unless unless we have to break the glass and pull the lever and call you again this week, which you're always you there. So, yeah. Thank you, Brandon. We love having you. Thank you. Until next week, I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. My monologue coming right up.